You're listening to The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. This is episode 15. My friend Katie and I got to know each other through a covert operation to get our sons to like each other a bit. They were both a bit lonely at church and missing friends from old churches. Perhaps Katie and I were too. And so we kept creating opportunities for them to be stuck in each other's company. The plan worked and they now go to youth church together, which is where we decided to catch up for a little chat. After a deliberately noisy start, we do find somewhere quieter to have our chat. However, you will hear in the background occasionally the dong of a malfunctioning security alarm system. Just giving you fair warning. So today I'm going to be chatting with Katie. Hi. The sound in the background is youth church, which is where our kids are. So whilst our kids are doing youth church, we're going to do an interview. So Katie, let's go somewhere quieter. Great. Well, here we are, somewhere a little bit quieter. And I'm here with Katie. And Katie, my first question, which is pretty much my first question to everyone, is how did you come to faith in Jesus? Okay, big question. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Tell me the uh, summarised version. And as an introvert, I'll just let you know I need to have... So I have a big bit of paper in front of me um, with lots of circles and lines. My head is on paper. Yeah, yeah. I think Katie's got more notes for this interview than I do. (laughs) You do. So I guess when I reflect back over my life, I I feel like I kind of became a Christian by default and gradually, and I've only worked out the process as I've become a Christian, not as I was going through it. When I was in high school, I think I I don't really know what I thought. I think I had a lot of anxiety and... I don't really think I knew who I was and what I believed and I feel like I didn't have much of an identity then. And then when I got to uni, I don't think I realised I was thinking this, but now I think this is what I was thinking. I thought, well, you know what? I've got to believe in something. Even if you believe in nothing, that's something. And I think in life you can believe in anything. You can believe in unicorns, you know. You can believe in whatever you want. But for me, there were three choices. I could believe in nothing. So I could be an atheist. I think that's an atheist, isn't it? Nothing, yeah. And I think that's hard to do, to believe in nothing at all. I think that takes a lot of, I don't know, I think it's a hard thing to believe in nothing. It or, takes a lot of certainty. You know, like to say, I know for sure there's nothing, yeah. as opposed to agnosticism, which I thought you were going to say. That's my next one. Right, yeah. I thought I could think, I don't know, is there a God, is there not, and sit on the fence and never been quite sure. Or I guess the other option for me was to believe in God. And for me, out of those three choices, that's, got the most purpose and it was what I was most familiar with. My parents are uh, committed Christians, um, so I grew up in the church. So to me that made the most sense, but probably more often than I'd like to admit, I feel like I, I doubt, possibly more more than the average person, I'm not sure. The tiptoes of Robbie in the background. <laughs> <laughs> You're in my interview now. <laughs> yeah, so with that in mind, with me choosing Christianity but still thinking, you know what, How do I know it's true? So I guess as a Christian, there's certain people I relate to more than others. So the example I thought of when I was thinking through what to speak about in this interview was in the Bible, I really relate to Gideon. When I hear the story of Gideon, I just think if I was Gideon, that is what I'd do. So if you don't know the story of Gideon, he had a lot of doubt. So in the end, he obeyed God, but he needed lots of confirmation to obey God. So I think I often relate to Gideon that way. But even with those doubts, and I'm guessing if that was Gideon's personality, he probably doubted all the way through, but he still ultimately obeyed God, even with those doubts. So that's like a biblical character that I relate to. 
And one of the, you know, a more modern person I can relate to is, is often the authors that have searched and voiced their doubts in their books. So C.S. Lewis is one that I really, that resonates with me. His argument about who Jesus was. So I think if you asked the general Australian public, did Alexander the Great exist? I think they'd say yes. They, they haven't studied history, but they just believe that he did because they've heard of him. And they might have learned about him in school. And did Ramses of Egypt, one of those amazing Egyptian pharaohs, and they'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he existed. And if you said, did Jesus exist? I'm not sure what people would say. And yet I think if you even spoke to a historian who was an atheist, I think they'd agree that Jesus is fairly certain that he existed. So there's enough evidence to say he almost certainly existed, but it's really, is he who he said he was? And the Jesus in the Bible claimed to be God, which I guess is a big claim. You know, Alexander the Great didn't claim to be God. And C.S. Lewis, one of the things that he talks about that I found out he didn't come up with himself, is that either Jesus was God and that's who he said he was, what if that's not true and what if he wasn't God? Well, he's either a very good liar, which I guess is possible. He convinced a lot of people with his lie or he was a madman. Either three option means he was very intelligent. And I guess for me, the most logical one is that he is who he said he was. Yeah. Now, this morning you had the joy of teaching preschool kids church with your son, who's 12. So tell me about ministry with your kids. I'm a single parent, which might come into the interview later. You bet it will. It will, right, it will. Well, it's on my, it's on my mind map, on so mind I've written map. it down to uh, what, I, what I'm happy to share. So I feel like as a single parent often, and I can't speak for all single parents, but I work and I raise two children, and they're both teenagers, so I feel like for me to really get involved with something is quite difficult because raising my children as a single parent's a big job. So I feel like I feel the cracks. So, you know, I'm on the morning tea roster at church. I cook dinner at youth. Uh, and I like doing all those things. I'm a bit of an introvert. And I have taught kids church and dad kids camps in the past. And recently I put my name back on the roster to teach kids church. And Max, my 12 year old said that he'd like to teach too. Um, so he teaches with me, which is really, really nice. And it came from him. I think he even initiated it. And so we teach the three and four-year-olds. I work as a paediatric speech pathologist, so working with three and four-year-olds is pretty easy for yep. me. <laughs> and Max, it wasn't easy at first, but now he's a bit of a natural. He recently went to almost a compulsory thing at the church where the youth it was compulsory for junior leaders. It was compulsory for yes. junior leaders, yes. Compulsory for junior leaders to go to this talk. And mm. I didn't know really what it was about, but, you know, he went along, I dropped him off, said goodbye. He's told me not to come in with him because he's 12. <laughs> and I thought it was probably going to be boring for him. But, you know, these things are important. You need to do these boring things. You need to do mandatory training. You need to do necessary yep. evils. So he came back and he was really excited. He had some bits of paper with him and he said, I've taken some notes, Mum. And I've told people, some people this, and they laughed as though it was quite funny, but I didn't laugh. I was That's really great. proud of him. Like, I didn't even feel like laughing. I thought, this is remarkable. He took notes and he said, Mum, it was really good. And he said, I've taken some notes. And, you know, maybe you can look at what I thought too, because these are some things. Again, people laugh, and I think, why are they laughing? They're laughing because he's 12. But I don't think it's to be laughed at. I was thought, this is remarkable. So he mm. said, you know, Mum, we really need to get to know these kids and know about them. And here I was, I think it was week three of us teaching minis and I can't, I can't remember their names, you know, I get 
Luke, there's two little boys that look similar, and I, I know them now. Just saying, if their parents are listening. But the first three weeks, I'm thinking, which is, which is Luke? Luke's mum does listen, actually. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but I know them now. So the first yes. day, and just to make sure, every week when we have the parent helper, I say, well, what we normally do is if we all go around and we say our names, so we can introduce ourselves to this one. But I do know all the names now. Just saying. Um, and he said, you really need to get to know these kids and get to know what they like. And it's all about building a relationship first. And I thought to myself, wow, I wish I actually not just known it, but understood it when I was 12. You know, you can know something, but understanding it. So in the church, that's kind of where I go. I just fill the gaps in. They ask for kids leaders and I fill a gap. The other thing that we've done more recently as a family is we've gone to Korea twice to do some kids programs over there. How did you end up in South Korea doing mission work? Uh, so with my parents, so my parents are retired. My dad's an ex high school teacher. My mum has done various things, but her last job was uh, secretary. And when they retired, they loved to travel, and my dad can't sit still, so they did TESOL courses, and they've just travelled to various places teaching English. And the last. I don't know, it might be six years, they've gone to South Korea and they really love it there. For South Korea, it's quite a remarkable place. It's a missionary training school and it's where Koreans that want to be missionaries um, go to learn English because it's kind of a universal language no matter where you go and my parents teach English there. And this particular year they had some older students who had children, so when they're studying, because often both parents study, so we ran a kids' holiday program as in school-aged kids? I think they're all school-aged, yep. And then two years later, they asked us back to run a program. There's a church next door that's very separate, but they have links because they're next door. A children's, well, they called it an English camp at the church next door. So I didn't know it was an English camp till I got over there, to be honest. So <laughs> I think if it had been an English camp, their parents were probably expecting sit-down, right? But we ran it more like a kids' holiday program in Australia, and we had a Korean there who had done a bit of work in Australia and was very fluent in both languages so he was like we mostly spoke English but if something was complicated he could translate into Korean. And so your parents were there at the same time? Yeah and mum was helping run the program and my dad was teaching English. Mm -hmm. So we had a fairly small group it's a very unusual thing in Korea I think to run a program like that so it was a smallish group of kids and we did things like cooking and singing and craft and which I think is yeah, not so common in programs in Korea. I think it's much more academically based. So that was fun. And so was the church running that as outreach or was it mainly for their own kids? It was the first one they'd ever done. And I think traveling makes you really realize about culture. So I think maybe in the future they may want it to be an outreach, but it's still a new mm. concept for that church, I think. And so it ended up just being the church kids they were going to run another one for the community kids and two separate ones, one for the church, one for the community, but it just ended up being the church one. And one girl came from another church. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time they'd run something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first time is always, you know, we could have done, we reflected and thought next time we did it, we'd change this, this and this. So, And do you hope to go back? Is it uh, Yeah, maybe in two years. It yep. depends on money. We do like to travel, but it is expensive to travel. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned that... Um, you work as a speech pathologist right. during the week. I do. Um, was that something that you always wanted to do or was it just something you fell into? Or uh, It sounds like everything I've fallen into now, you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so I've fallen into my faith. 
I fell into speech pathology. So I finished high school and because I didn't really know what I wanted, I, my grades was okay, they're not brilliant. So I didn't know what to do, so I did an arts degree. And I thought, where's my arts degree going to take me? And I had no direction with my McDonald's. arts degree. <laughs> so I did a year of arts and then I thought, no, I need to do something. I don't know what. And my sister was doing occupational therapy, so I didn't want to do the same as her. So I was like, I don't know, I'll just do this. <laughs> so I kind of fell into it too, yep. funnily enough. So you went to uni, you fell into uni. Did you yeah. fall into marriage as well? Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> so my then husband, oh, he was in the Christian group at uni with me and he moved just up the road. And so we used to carpool together. So you got married and had two kids. Did you feel like then, did you feel like life was going along a pretty predictable, pleasant kind of a path? I think so. I had my daughter and she was quite an easy child. Like when people said it's really hard having a baby, other than a few issues with feeding and stuff, I thought, yeah, it's really not that hard. You know, you stick her in the corner. She likes her own company. <laughs> she was quite an early talker, so she didn't have frustration in talking. She walked at the normal time. She ate okay. And well, I think anyone that listens that has little kids, it often does cause, um, what's the word? It's a difficult time in your marriage when you're looking after young children. I think most people would say that. And then I had my second child and on reflection, he was probably an average baby, but he cried a lot more and I had two kids. And I remember thinking, and I, I don't know whether it's dysfunctional or functional, I felt like I had these two things attached to me. Not bad things, but I felt like I wasn't me. It was me and I had these two things always attached to me and so in hindsight I think I probably had some kind of postnatal not depression but anxiety and when you're under stress you don't see the severity of things but I know now that our marriage was going through a pretty rough patch without going into details to understatement you know I could speak for hours about where the issues were but I think it's probably not the place to talk about marriage problems to protect my ex-husband and protect my children and the result was that my ex-husband decided to leave and end the marriage when my son was one and my daughter was three. So my world, like, even 10 years later, it's still quite emotional. My world, like, came crashing down. It was, for me, it was this huge surprise. We were both Christians. And our, I remember some of our friends when I said, you know, Jeff's moved out, some of our friends saying, oh, it's all right, you'll work it out. You're Jeff and Katie. And other people saying when it did end that it really made them look at their own marriages, mm. you know, if our marriage could end. And I think it strengthened my faith. So that whole, it's a cliche that your faith strengthens in hard times, but I think cliches are there for a reason. They're cliches because there's usually truth in them. And it was really the first big thing I'd ever dealt with in my life. Yeah, so that, so I guess through that I feel like my faith strengthened and the book of James has really helped me through that. There are a lot of passages in James that, you know, say things like, I've written them down because yeah. I don't know them. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, or woman, who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised those who love him. And if you read through James there's a lot, mm. a lot about that. But, and again, it's made me realise that when people go through those big things, like I don't think anyone if you lose a child when you shouldn't lose a child if you live with a parent too early if you have a child with a disability if you live in poverty I think you can really truly empathize with someone unless 
you've been close to it or been through it. So, you know, unless you've been through divorce or had the death of a child, it, it's terrible, but I think you can't. I, I don't know, it was like so devastating for me. I felt mm. like my, and I remember thinking, I know lots of people get divorced now and I know it's really common. I know this isn't true now, but I thought no one feels as bad as me. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody feels as bad as I do through this divorce. And I've realised since that's not true and most people actually probably do feel as bad as I did. And I used to have this image in my head when it was happening. So I felt like my life was a square and I had God in one corner and my family in another corner and my husband then in another corner, and my friends in another corner. And then my husband left and my life became a triangle because one whole corner, it's still yeah. a solid shape. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different shape. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember always being admiring single parents, thinking, my gosh, how do they do it? And, oh, and then I became one. Yeah. Uh, and you do it because you fall apart or you, or you do it. And I had good family and uh, good support from the church and good support from friends. So I think that's a big thing that really helped me through it too, having that support. I think if people don't have support through those things, that's when they, they just crash and burn and, you know, the whole thing becomes dysfunctional. That's really big. Big story. <laughs> Even 10 years later, yeah. you know, yeah. When I hear of another marriage that breaks up, it, yeah. it, I'll start crying. It brings. Yeah. Yeah, because I know how hard it is. Yeah. And when you said, I just felt like no one was feeling as bad as I was feeling, mm. was there a particular emotion that was dominant or was it just the mess of everything? Oh, it's just this grief and I used to feel like even when, you know, I still went to work and... Uh, you know, if you didn't know me very well, you wouldn't probably pick it up. I probably wouldn't be high-spirited. But I felt like, and even when I was happy, mm. I felt like you'd scratch the surface and there it was, yeah. just under the surface. Yeah. And, and yeah. then time heals. It's another cliche, but mm. it's another, it doesn't fix things. And I think with any of those big things that I was talking mm. about, there's, there's, I don't think the grief ever goes away. But I think time heals and you need to work at forgiving and work at healing or you'll always be in this mm. place. And I wouldn't say I'm completely there yet, but maybe that's heaven yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's ongoing ongoing difficulties. I mean, you're still parenting two kids. Yeah. With your ex-husband and that's not always smooth sailing, is it? Yeah, I mean, I mean he loves anybody. the kids and he's, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's make it easier. I've never had to have that battle of him not caring or loving mm. for the kids. So uh, that's been a good thing. But yeah, I remember soon after I went to, a, it was like a, something run by the Catholics and they do things like this very well. It was like a divorce recovery thing and it was the weekend away and it was probably a year or two later actually. And it was for uh, any women who had lost their husband either through death or through divorce. And it always stuck with me, this lady, she was an older lady. I don't even remember her name, and she'd lost her husband through... She was a widow. Mm. She said to me and this other lady, um, she said, you know, in some ways I think it's harder for you because my husband's gone and he was gone through love. Your husband's, in one respect, have died, but they're still alive. Yeah. So that's always struck with me. And things like that always make me think, you know what, it's really important to talk to people. You never know when you're going to say something. I mean, that lady probably doesn't even remember saying that to me. Yeah. You never know when you're going to say something that to someone that you'll never see again that'll help them. Yeah, and mm. help them for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I don't know if this question is too big, but are you able to talk about um, how it's been for your kids or still is for your kids? So we lived in Brisbane and when my daughter was in grade, 
I don't know. We've been back in Brisbane for three years, so whatever, she's now in grade 10. So you can mm. do the maths on that. Mm. So for three years, we moved up the coast. So I decided to get a government job. So I had stable pay and a job came up in Caloundra. And that's my, it's on the Sunshine Coast in Brisbane, in Queensland, and my favourite place in the world. So if you'd said to me, what's, what would be your ideal job, Katie? I would say, you know what, if I had to pick, I'd work in a little community health centre by the beach. And that's where I got a job. And it was within distance from their dad. I thought when I look for a job, it's got to be within an hour from their dad. Mm. So traumatically for my kids, because it moves hard, we moved up the coast for three years and settled in a great job. And then when my daughter was going to start high school, I was reflecting and I thought, what's going to be the best for my kids if I want to be a good role model and I want to be obedient to God and put my children first? What am I going to do? And, and I thought, should I... should is it better? And every situation is different. So if people are listening to this and they live in a different city to their children's father, then, you know, it's. I think every situation is different. I think that's really important to remember. This is just my situation. Mm. And I just had this unease about staying up the coast. Mm. And I've never, I'm always, because of my doubts, I'm always really wary of people who say, I think God's telling me to take this job. I think God's telling me to do this. I think God's telling me. But I've never felt... A decision so was so right when, on paper, if you wrote it all down, I should have stayed up the coast, you know. It was it was great. And I can see now, I'm starting to see now why we moved back, but it's, it's really the first big decision in my life where I felt it was God telling me. So we moved back to Brisbane, and even that hasn't been smooth sailing for me. So my son, which is, for him, good, has decided to live with his father a bit more. Mm. And it's very common in boys. My daughter's had, and it's really her story to tell, um, and I think there's lots of reasons for it, but she, for the last three years, has struggled with some quite significant mental health issues, and what's the cause of them? I think that's a complex thing. Mm. But hard to do it to help uh, in a separated family, more so, I think. Mm. I hadn't actually thought about that, about your son, but it would have been harder for him to spend more time with your ex-husband with that hour distance and try and keep school going, you know, like yeah. that couldn't have happened really. It would have only been weekend visits with one of you. That's right. So maybe me moving back has made me have more, maybe he I don't know, who knows, who knows. Mm. But I feel like we still have a good relationship, Max and I, mm. and um, possibly strengthened it, I don't know. Mm. So what's it like being a divorced woman at a church where everyone's happy families? So the church that I go to and Tori goes to actually is it's a fairly middle class church mm. and you know you go to some of those big Baptist church and it often has a lot of divorced people. That's just how it is. It's not wrong, it's not, it's not right. Our church doesn't have a lot of divorced people. There's a few but I could mm. probably name them to you now and count them on one hand. So you're a bit of a minority so I was going to our current church when my marriage broke down and then we moved up the coast and now I'm back in the same church. And I know the church really cared for me, like they really did. They were making me meals, so much so that I said, oh, I'm all right now, like, do you need to make them for someone else? <laughs> but I feel like, and I, I don't blame people, but I, I feel like I don't feel left out and I'm not feeling sorry for myself. But sometimes you don't get invited to so many things and I, I don't sit and, you know, stew over it. But I, I think sometimes it's harder for people to connect with you because there's not that stereotypical have you around for a barbecue and the blokes talk and the women mm. talk 
but I've never felt judged but I guess the people that I know well in the church know my story and the people I don't know well now they know it but I've always thought they don't need to know <laughs> unless I want to tell them it's alright not everybody at our church listens to this podcast no, don't they no oh, right right <laughs> and you know I've, I've been very careful with the details here so you know some people know the details but not many yeah. and I think that's to protect everyone involved everyone doesn't need to know all the details mm. of my well, also, it'd be easy for you to sort of almost um, be a bit disrespectful and gossipy in the way you talked about stuff, but I respect the way you kind of, it's just a needs-to-know kind of basis what you share. Yeah. Especially about things that people don't need to know. That's right. And I've learned that through the wisdom of others. You know, when it first happened, I really wanted to tell everyone some of the details. And um, I think I had enough wise people to tell me not to. Yeah. And I probably told too many people when it was raw. But, you know, I don't really feel the need to tell people the details now. Uh, because I look at my motives. My motives would be to make me look good mm. and then look bad. Mm. And we both made mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, I need to own my own mistakes in it. What else are you passionate about apart from the things that we've talked about so far? I think my life's been so busy as a single parent, it's really hard to say. But I, I So I think I like the simple things like going to the beach. And, yeah. But I do like to travel. It's funny, you know, you don't actually come across as a busy person. Like you're not, a, you're not harried or rushed. Yeah, funny. I've just started some work with university students and they tell me the same thing. So I think I must be good at underneath. I feel straight when I'm busy. But I always try and find, I feel like my life, I feel like everyone's life, whether they realise or not, is this seesaw. Maybe like it's a four seesaw. I picture like a plank going one way and then yep. a plank. I don't know what you call that. Yep. A plank vertically and a no. Well, it's a cross, plank. isn't it? Like a cross. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's very yeah. um, <laughs> symbolic. Oh, <isn't> it? <laughs> <laughs> and you try. You're always trying to stay in the middle and balance work and family and faith. What's the fourth one? Friends. Friends, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And you're always trying to stay in the middle. And everyone has a different balance. So I'm less busy when I. But I must come across as calmer than I. And I feel it's a good job. And I think travelling, as much as I love it as an adventure and love seeing other cultures and love the history, it's also, I think what it's shown me too is seeing all these different cultures, it's made me reflect on what's important as a Christian because different cultures have different things and it's made me think, you know, you've really just got to go to the gospel. So all these discussions we have, which I think are important to have, but they're not important. Should women preach? Should you have tattoos? Do you baptise children when they're two? Do you wait till they're adults? Should you swear? Should you read Harry Potter? I think they're good discussions to have. Did God create the world in seven days? Or is it just, is, crea- is um, evolution true and that's God's way of... You know, they're important things to think about, but when you work, live in different cultures and see different views and you think, I don't know, when I die, you know, for example, I'm not convinced that the seven days were seven days. And when I die, maybe I'll find out that actually, Katie, it was seven days. You are wrong. I don't mind, mm. you know. Mm. I'm happy to be wrong about that. <laughs> so is it that when you travel and you see other Christians, you feel... Like you get a sense of, okay, we're believers, even if we've got different... We, we attach different, different weight. Yeah, attach different weight to some of the peripheral stuff. Yeah, mm. it's the core values that mm. Jesus is the Son of God mm. and, you know, that he came to save our sins. You know, that's the truth and everything else. Well, someone's got to be wrong about those little things. What keeps you nourished and keeping on, keeping on as a Christian? I think connecting 
with people for me is the most important thing. And when I go through tough times, talking through the tough times, going to a small group, attending church regularly. You know, you go to a small group at an interesting time of the week. Yeah, so I've been out. I'm very glad this isn't a TV interview because I've been out since quarter past seven this morning and it's now like half past five on a Sunday. It's not a TV interview and you're looking fantastic. (laughs) And it's not, you know, I haven't like I haven't had a shower all day and been walking around. So I probably smell a bit too. So I'm glad it's just, you know, my voice. Um, So because it's quite hard for me to get out at night, Although I could now, with anyway, that's another story that's quite boring. I go to a, a growth group or a connect group, or you want to call it, at 7:30 in the morning before church, and we're kind of it's a new group and we're trying it out. And sometimes it's a Bible study group. Sometimes there's only a couple of us there, so we just chat like this morning. And sometimes it's three of us, so we end up praying and not doing the study. So it's not your typical at our church. You kind of do a study. Or the ones I've been to. Yeah, and pray. And chat. Oh, and pray and chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't even always do the study. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yes, you do pray and chat the other ones, yeah. But um, it, it's almost like a mix between, I said to our group, I said, I think I need to stop thinking that this is where we do the Bible study. If it's a small group, it can be like a prayer triplet. It doesn't have to be, you've got to read through the... Yeah, so we go at 7.30 in the morning. Fantastic. So 7.30 in the morning, so till 8.30 or 9 or something? So, yeah. And yeah. then... Well, at the moment and then... Well, when I've been busy, I've been then doing some work for you yep. or work. But now that work's not so busy, then I'll go to church and then I'll te- at this moment, this is where my life is. Yep. Go, then I go to church and then I teach kids church. At the second service. At the second service. And then I often go home. But today I had some stuff on. I had a niece's birthday party and blah, blah, blah. So I didn't bother going home. So, sorry, I interrupted you though. So connecting with people, um, so you're... Yeah, and keeping on seeking God, really, mm. I, I think. And because of this... Um, what's the word? Yeah, the, the, the doubt that I always think, hmm. So I think yeah. as long as I keep seeking God, then so I think that's what keeps me. Do you, have you read any books to... deliberately on doubt that you've found? Uh, yeah, do you know what? I, I actually never finished reading The Case for Christ. I started reading it and um, didn't quite finish it. And then it, when it came out of the movies, I thought, right, I don't need to finish that book. <laughs> I can just see the movie like a good year 10 English student. That's right. That's right. So it's a very good movie and uh, I don't feel like I need to read the book. Fantastic, Katie. I think we're at the end. Is Great. there anything else you want to say? I think I did. I was very nervous interviewing and sharing a bit of my heart, but I, I, um, I'm glad I could do it.